Thanks, Judith. Well, let's get our Bibles back open, Matthew chapter 13, uh, and let me pray once more for God's help uh, as we look at his word. Father God, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you speak clearly to us in your word. We pray this morning, Lord, that we might be a listening people, and that as we listen, we might put into practice the things that you say to us, that we might live well for Jesus in this world, and we ask it for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a question for you this morning as we uh, begin this new series uh, in these parables, and the question is this, what do you value most in life? Or to put it another way, what is most precious to you? And I want to underline that word most, not just what's precious, not just what matters to you. Lots of things matter. Lots of things I'm sure are precious to you, but what is most precious to you? I still remember a a conversation with a guy called Andy Archibald, uh, who was on the brink of becoming a Christian. And I remember the conversation so well because it was a wonderful conversation. I remember exactly where we were. We were in the pub by his house in a place called Brill. Uh, His wife Sophie was just about to give birth uh, to their first child, a little girl called Neve. And as we chatted together in the pub, I asked him what he wanted most for his little girl Neve as she grew up. I wonder what you'd have said to that maybe if you're a parent. What do you want most for those who you love? Well, Andy thought about that question for a little while, and then he answered quite slowly, and he said, I wanted to know about Jesus. I wanted to be a Christian. And that was the moment that the penny dropped for him when he began to verbalize what he wanted most for his little girl that was just about to be born. It actually became a clear indication to him of what was really on his own heart. You see, lots of things matter in life, don't they? We want lots of things, no doubt, for ourselves, for the people around us, for our children, for those that we love. But nothing, nothing in life is more precious than a relationship with God that comes through Jesus Christ. All other things are actually meaningless in comparison to knowing Christ and having him. And in many ways, that's the main point of the parables that are before us this morning. They're here to teach us how infinitely precious a relationship with God is, a relationship that can only come through knowing and trusting in Jesus Christ. We've got three parables before us this morning, and just two headings to remember and the first one is this Jesus is a priceless treasure have a look again verse 44 should be familiar now with these words the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field you can imagine the scene can't you some guy out in the field and Maybe he's a laborer, maybe he's working for the farmer, he's, he's digging away in that field, ready to sow some crops, and, and as he digs, as his spade goes into the earth, chink, so it hits something hard. He thought, oh, it's a little bit hard, I wonder what that is. And so he keeps digging around it, and he gets down on his hands and his knees, and he, he starts scraping away all the mud until it becomes clear what it is. Clear what it is that he's unearthed. I don't know if anyone of you remember the... Uh, 
the story, it's about 10 years ago now, of a, a brother and sister in Southern Ireland who found an 18th century Chinese vase in their loft, which eventually sold for a staggering 53 million pounds. Imagine that, just popping up into your loft, you're going to get a board game out or look through some old photos, whatever, and you happen to come across something which is of such great value. Well, that's what happens here, isn't it? In the parable. And as soon as the man sees it, as soon as he uncovers it, he knows that he's onto something big, something really big. So what does he do? You've seen the picture already. Well, he heads home, excited. He gathers up all his possessions, his house keys, his car. His, he empties his bank accounts. He, he gets all his cash together in order that he can buy that field and get his hands on that treasure. So he's got enough money to buy that treasure. Such is the value of the treasure in the field. That's the first parable. And the second one is a similar one, isn't it? As Chris read it to us, it's a similar story of a merchant and a pearl. Listen again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This time we've got a businessman. And he's in the business of fine pearls. And one day he's out and about and he's, he's scouring the local markets and he comes across a pearl of such beauty, of such worth, and of such value that he sells everything he has in order to get his hands on this pearl of great price. And so the question we're left asking is this, isn't it? What does the hidden treasure represent? What is the priceless pearl a picture of? Well, the answer to that question is given to us at the start of both of those parables. You can flick it on, please, Delphine. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And again in verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. And I take it the kingdom of heaven is shorthand for knowing Jesus because the kingdom of heaven is all about the rule of the king. It's all about the rule of Jesus and therefore coming under the rule of Jesus, accepting Jesus as your king, living in his kingdom is worth giving everything for. It's one of the reasons that Jesus teaches these two parables side by side to remind us by way of repetition that the kingdom of heaven is worth everything that you've got. Yet at the same time as we hold these parables side by side, we can learn not only from what is similar, but also what is different. And so I wonder as you look down in your Bibles, can anyone spot the big difference in these two parables? What do you notice about the man who finds the treasure? Anyone spot the difference? Yeah. In the first parable, it's almost like he seems to come across it by chance, isn't it? Maybe walking through the field or he's, he's digging away that day. Or, but however he comes across it, he's not intentionally looking for the treasure. He's not like those people you see out on the beaches with their metal detectors and they're, they're out for a reason. They're out searching. They're out scouring because they want to get hold of something priceless. No, he stumbles across it almost by chance, it seems. But in the second parable, 
The merchant is actively looking. Did you notice for that? He's looking for fine pearls. He's on the hunt. He's scouring the markets. He's doing all that he can to get his hands on this pearl of great price. And you see, that's what it's often like with the kingdom of God. Some people find it, it seems, almost by chance. Like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She wasn't looking for the kingdom of God that day. She wasn't seeking after God. She was simply going about her daily chores. She was there to draw water from the well. But in God's providence, in God's kindness, according to God's good and gracious plan, that was the day that she came face to face with Jesus. That was the day that she trusted in Jesus as her king. Others, though, like the man looking for fine pearls, are more like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 actively looking for the kingdom of God. It's like he'd been searching for some time. In fact, if you remember when Philip comes up alongside the chariot, the Ethiopian eunuch is is reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. He's in the Scriptures. He's searching. He's seeking for God. It's like he wants to know who God is. He's got to find out about this God. And beginning with that very passage of Scripture, Philip explains the good news of the Gospel. And he too trusts in Jesus that day as his King. And he's baptized then and there. You see, the circumstances may be very different, mightn't they? One wasn't really looking at all. One was searching diligently. But the result was the same. They found Jesus. They found the greatest treasure in life. And that's the main point, isn't it, of these first two parables, that however we get our hands on that treasure, however we come to meet Jesus after years and years of searching and asking questions, or you bang into someone on the street and they tell you about the gospel and you convert it then and there. However it happens, the kingdom of God, knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him is worth giving everything that you have. Firstly, Jesus is a priceless treasure. And secondly, Jesus is a precious Savior. Have a look at the third parable that begins in verse 47. Once again, it's the kingdom of heaven in view. This time, though, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. They, they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, God's kingdom is already here. That's the point of the first two parables. God's kingdom is already here because God's King Jesus has come and He came in order to die for our sin on a cross to bring us back into a relationship with God. And you can take hold of that treasure today. That treasure of knowing Christ can be yours today. You can know the rule and the loving reign of God in your heart today simply by trusting in Jesus. But at the same time, We are still waiting for God's kingdom to come in all of its fullness. And that's the focus of this last parable. You can see that, can't you, in verse 49. This is how it will be when, not now, this is how it will be at the end of the age. 
Jesus says this is what things are going to be like when the end of the age comes and Jesus returns in heaven from, from heaven in glory. And the picture that Jesus uses, you can see it there, it's a fishing picture, isn't it? Verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. The net that Jesus probably had in mind was a drag net, which was often suspended between two boats and pulled through the water, and it just gathered up everything, all kinds of stuff. It was all gathered together in that net. And then when the net was full, they pulled it onto the shore, and they sorted the fish out into two piles. The good fish were put into baskets, and the bad fish were thrown away. And Jesus says that's a picture of what will happen at the end of the age. When Jesus comes again, the angels will sort out, they will separate all of humanity into two distinct groups. There will be a great division between what Jesus calls good fish and bad fish, or the righteous and the wicked. And I guess the big question we're asking ourselves, or I hope we're asking ourselves this morning, is who are the good fish and who are the bad fish? Who are the righteous and who are the wicked? You see, most people, I think, go through life with some sort of sliding goodness scale like the one that you see up there on the screen. We have someone like Mother Teresa at the top. She's the, she's the pinnacle of goodness. And then down the bottom, we have someone like Adolf Hitler, the, the epitome of wickedness. And of course, we'll place ourselves somewhere in the middle, probably slightly nearer the top, because we actually think we're all right. We're not quite Mother Teresa's standard, but we're pretty good. We're not bad. We're not like some of the people down there at the bottom. But you see, the Bible doesn't view life like that. According to God, by nature, we're all bad fish. We're all in that same category. We are all unrighteous. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Look in Romans chapter 3. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. There are no good fish by nature, not even one. The Bible says we've all turned our back on the living God. We are all unrighteous, in the wrong with God by nature. And we deserve God's just condemnation on that final day. But the good news of the Gospel, the treasure of God's Word that has been put before us this morning is that Jesus came into this world to do what we can't do. To be our Saviour. And to deal with our sin. He came to make us right with God. He came to make us friends with God. That's what Paul goes on to say just a few verses later. But now apart from the law, not by living a good life, not by following rules, not by doing good things, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. A way of being right with God has been revealed. It's been made known. The law and the prophets, the Holy Old Testament, they point us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ in whom that righteousness is found. 
It is given through faith. Can you see that? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of our good works. Not because of our own merit. Not because of what we bring to the table of salvation. But because of what God brings in His own Son. Because Jesus died in my place, in your place, on the cross, with our sin, so that we might come back into a relationship with God. And that treasure... And that life is available to all those who would believe. Which means that when the end of the age does come, when all of humanity, as it will be, is sorted out into two groups, through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we can be safe. We can be safe forever with Him in His eternal kingdom. Not because of our own goodness. Not because I'm a good lad or I I rank myself slightly higher on that scale to someone else. Simply I trusted in Christ to take away my sin and deal with it in my place. And you can see, can't you, in verse 50, how much that decision matters. It's graphic language and we'll pick up this language actually next week in next week's parable. Blazing furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth is not something that we want to experience. In my first year of uh, university, I was, in a, I was in Towers Hall in Loughborough, which is basically a big tower block uh, on campus, and I was on floor 10, uh, which wasn't great, particularly on Friday evenings, because when people came back from town at various hours, uh, they'd come in and the fire alarm inevitably would go off, and of course, you're in a tower block, you can't use the lift, and so at like three in the morning, you traipse down, 10 flights of stairs and you walk across to the sports hall. You stand there like that in lines for a little while until someone comes in and says, oh, it's not, it's not a real fire, don't worry. Back up you go. And you traipse back in again. And this used to happen every Friday, every Saturday, sometimes two or three times a night. Here's the thing we need to understand this morning. The warning in verse 49 and verse 50 isn't a false alarm. This isn't a fire drill. The end of the age will come. It's not someone just having a laugh. You know, this is going to happen. And the warning goes out in love from the Lord Jesus that the end is coming. And on that day, we will go in one of two directions, depending on how we were sorted according to what we make of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus matters so much. It is just one of the reasons why Jesus is so precious. Because he alone is the difference between those two eternities. He alone can be our precious Savior. And so the question for you this morning is a very simple one in many ways. What are you going to do with Jesus? It's a question you all need to ask yourselves. What are you going to do with Jesus? Or as Jesus himself says, have you understood all these things? Have you grasped what Jesus is saying? about life and eternity and how incredibly important these things are. And when Jesus says understand, he's not just talking about does it make sense? Can I line these things up logically in my head? He means have you embraced Jesus as your treasure? Have you understood to such a point that you have to reach out and take hold of him and say he's mine, I want nothing else but Christ in this life. It's not just in our heads, it's in our hearts that we take hold of the Lord Jesus. And if you haven't this morning, what's stopping you? What is it that's holding you back from taking hold of Jesus? And if you have, if you sat there this morning and you're like, I know Jesus is my treasure. 
I know where I'll be on that final day. My final question for you is this. Will you share that treasure with others? Will you be part of God's work in setting before this lost and needy world a treasure like no other? Because that's the point Jesus is making in verse 52. Jesus said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple, become a follower of Jesus in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The Bible is full of treasure. It's full of treasure. Old treasure and new treasure. And it is our immense privilege as followers of Jesus Christ to take out of the storeroom of God's word old treasures. Teaching in the Old Testament points us forward to the Lord Jesus and the hope and the life that we have in him or the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself as we find it here this morning in Matthew chapter 13 and to put that treasure before this world and to ask them what they're going to do with it. The good news of the gospel is the most precious thing we have and it is the most precious thing that we can give to anyone. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called John Harper. He was a Christian man who went down with the Titanic. But before he died in the icy waters, he managed to share the gospel with a number of other people who were also in the icy waters after they jumped off the Titanic. And one of those characters survived to tell the tale at a prayer meeting that was held four years later. And this is what he said about his encounter with John Harper in the icy waters as the Titanic went under. This is what he said. He explained that he'd been on the Titanic that night. It struck the iceberg. He had clung to a piece of floating debris in the freezing waters. Suddenly, he said, a wave brought a man near. John Harper. He too was holding a piece of wreckage. He called out, man, are you saved? No, I'm not, he replied. He shouted back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away. But a little later, he was washed back beside me again. You saved now, he called out. No, I answered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then losing hold on the wood, Harper sank, and there alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I trusted Christ as my saviour. I am John Harper's last convert. It's beautiful, isn't it? One day, the ship will sink. One day, the ship will go down. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. There may be no tomorrow. Today is the day to turn to Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of his this morning, today is the day to share that treasure with the world, right? Because there might not be a tomorrow. So what are we going to do with that treasure? What are we going to do with him personally? Are we going to embrace him? And if you have embraced him, are we then going to set him before this world and say, have him for your savior as well? Jesus is a priceless treasure and Jesus is a precious saviour and there is no other. There is no other saviour that can take you to heaven forever, just Jesus. And so what are you going to do with Jesus this morning? Is he your treasure and is he your saviour? We're just going to watch a very short video.
as you respond maybe in your own hearts to that question. Jesus, that's my king. That's my king. Let's watch. <laughs> 